I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. Welcome to School of Everything Else. Ten Possible Futures. This is a special episode which we are deliberately timing for release around about the 2020 US election and mere weeks before the UK Brexits from Europe. So right now we couldn't just give you a movie, we needed something special. I know we're going to hit on futures that many of us would rather be living in, but we will also be talking about dystopias that most of us are thankful not to be experiencing right now at least. With us on this discussion are... Longtime friend and frequent guest of the show, Neil Taylor of Gameburst. Hello! Another frequent collaborator, Brendan Agnew of Synapse. Greetings! Time travel specialist, Jesse Ferguson of Recorded Tomorrow. Hello, hello! And Hollywood actress, Maya Santandrea. Hey, everyone! Hello! I, I went back and forth on the ranking of these, and I kind of managed to get it down to like types of where we are as a species. and Types of setting and the world that the yeah. story is told in. In fact, we're going to go through this project adhering to a set of three rules. One, we want to discuss the worlds, but try our best not to spoil the endings. Sometimes we're going to have to, and in those cases we will give a spoiler warning and keep it short so you can skip forward to a safe place. Some of us won't actually have seen the films that we're talking about, so we don't want to spoil it for each other. Number two, I've done my research and attributed stated years for these movies to be set in, going by Google and various wikis. However, some of the years are going to be estimates, and some will be in contention. And I trust our audience not to tweet me with, um, actually, Mad Max is an alternate reality beginning in 1979 because at the end of the day in most cases the specificity of years doesn't matter it's the structures of the societies that we are examining and the third and most importantly we are more than aware that most of you will be worried anxiety ridden and justifiably scared by worldwide events and the way that things are going the remit of this show is not to exacerbate these feelings we are feeling them too and recording this is a coping mechanism what I would dearly like is to attain some perspective, an overview on our possible paths down the road, an understanding of what the sci-fi authors behind these stories were telling us about ourselves as a species, a measure of acceptance and calm, not to prevent us from fiercely fighting to protect the vulnerable and struggle to bring a respect for justice back to our time, but to cultivate hope like a tiny green shoot growing out of the ashes, to reinforce our armour against the onset of despair. We all need help to get us through this, and Sharon and I would like to add to that. So we're going to start with the worst of possible futures, fucking the end of all things. Just everything ends. So I chose for the very tippity top for, to be the, the worst scenario is 
Sunshine, one of our favorite movies of all time, one that we're going to be doing sometime soon. Uh, the Edge of Extinction at number 10 with the bone-chilling existential nightmares uh, in this category, because it's not just Sunshine, it's a whole bunch that are like Sunshine as well. Now, Sunshine's worse than, say, Knowing. In the film Knowing, starring Nicolas Cage, this is a shit film, by the way. Knowing is shit. I don't mind spoiling (laughs) Knowing, because it's shit, and you shouldn't waste your time watching it. Nicholas Cage. He's thoroughly ashamed of himself for that one. If you if you really want to skip ahead, you can. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'll have it done. Like the thirty seconds should do it. Um, but uh, in knowing, Nicholas Cage finds out that the Earth is going to to explode, and then he tries to rescue his kids, and then aliens take the kids away at like the the eleventh the, the last minute of the film, and then the Earth just blows up. The end. The earth just kaboom, y'all. And, and that's a terrible ending because it's just like the end of, of, of the earth. And um, the film Melancholia, which Sharon and I saw yesterday, I, I, I can't, like, we have to kind of spoil that as well. But it, it starts like this. A whole planet called Melancholia, which is rather on the nose, collides... <laughs> With the Earth, and the whole film is about first Kirsten Dunst is suffering from severe um, depression, and it's her wedding day, and everyone's saying, "Why aren't you happy?" And then her sister, played by uh, Charlotte Gainsborough, uh, is suffering from severe anxiety because she spotted that there's a, a planet in the sky coming closer and closer towards Earth, and so it's a Lars von Trier film. It's dreary and miserable, and at the very end. The planet hits us and everybody dies. But one of the last things that happens is that Kirsten Dunst, well, her sister says, maybe we should just go out on the, the, the patio, have a glass of wine, listen to some music, just, you know, for the end. And Kirsten Dunst goes, you know what I think of your plan? I think it's made of shit. And it's like, oh, well, this is a lovely wow. end to everything. Wow. And then she's like, no, 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 because I built us a house out of sticks. Now let's go and sit in the stick house and wait for everything to end. It's a horrible film. Although, interesting, the beginning is really, like, the very beginning is really eye-catching, and it's full of of, 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 of strange imagery that suggests that time is bending and, and reality is folding in on itself. I'm like, put this at the end, and you've got your Beyond Jupiter bit, yeah. Lars. But I feel like he was going to put it on the festival circuit, and Lars von Trier films make about $18,000, and he wanted to, like, start, lead with the eye-catching stuff, and then just end on it, oh, for fuck's sake, note. Which it did. So rather than split the difference and, like, tease there's going to be some metaphysical stuff at the end here, he just spunked it all in our faces and then told us that it was going to be a marathon of sex. In fact, it was just two and a half hours of depression. I mean, if Terminator 3 has taught us anything, it's that you put all the good shit at the end and people will give you a yeah. lot of clout for years. People will think it's a good film. Go yeah. They'll convince the themselves. Again, yeah. So it's, yeah, Lars von Trier's um, uh, Melancholia. It's <laughs> metaphorical! Yeah, okay. Uh, but Sunshine is worse because... <clears throat> It's 2057, and black holes have appeared within our sun and are draining it of heat. This is the faintly possible scenario that physicist and consultant Brian Cox, yeah, that guy, laid down as to why the sun might be dying. 
the sunshine like they try as much as they can to be as like like scientifically on point and as sensible as possible the whole way through the film um so a team of astronauts scientists and engineers from around the world are on their way in the spacecraft icarus 2 to reactivate the ailing star with a bomb the size of manhattan so to my guests without spoiling the ending of the movie why is this scenario so dire and why does it belong in the prime primo number one numero uno spot of worst possible future i'm not sure it does (laughs) okay Okay. i was i was gonna say like there is uh, yeah i go on but i kind of agree with that as well Uh, let's hear brendan first because he was i think he was on your side so well i i think that it certainly starts off that way as as like the the worst possible future it's so uh, not just the fact that all that we see of earth is just this like cold gray um sort of like depressing place um but but you're you're already dealing with the second mission after a failed first mission Mm -hmm. and so everything just feels like incredibly like that that first act you're interested in the characters in the in the scenario but everything feels just incredibly dire and it would be very easy to imagine um, like the the arc of that film going as hard into tragedy as something like melancholia mm. and part of the the point of the way sunshine is constructed is that it's about the existential dread that you're confronted with when something this huge is in front of you and it's the the heat death of the sun ultimately is that there's nowhere to go from that there's yes they have this plan and yes they have this bomb and they are actually trying something and that's great but as an initial setup it's everything on earth is going to die everything like including animals plants everything uh, we can't leave and go to another planet because we couldn't get anywhere mm-hmm. uh, that that we can be reasonably sure can support life. And it's not just the Earth that's gone. It's going to be everything in the solar system, everything mm-hmm. that our sun has an impact on. So yeah. I think it's... The- Even the plankton that are currently on Europa, yeah. slowly evolving into squid people, <laughs> are going to be like, oh, no sun, brilliant. Okay, well, Those- I guess that's us then. We had no ability to get to the sun to stop this. Those farting penguins on Venus, they're done for. Oh, Venus. Um- <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah. Bottom line, it's the extent of the the far-reachingness. Yeah, I was. I'm, I'm trying to think of a word that means death, but is more um, the, total death. The, the, the end of all. The end of all things. Annihilation. That's the word I was looking for. The extent of the annihilation mm. is what really categorizes this as the absolute worst for me. Mm. I think I can make this argument without okay, go for it, spoiling yeah. anything. Okay, cool. So, yes. The world, the solar system, is facing absolute existential dread and, you know, the threat of complete extinction and annihilation. That is awful. However, there is one scene, we get one single scene where we see Earth, and it's kind of okay. I mean... It's there's there's kids. Yes, it's snowing because it's cold. Because it's not just snowing. Sun. They're standing but, in the harbor of Sydney Opera House, and there's snow across snowing. the bay. It's frozen <laughs> solid. But they're playing. They're the kids are happy. The mom is looking at the kids wistfully. It's not like it. 
I don't get the impression when I see that one scene that it's as bad as the road that the world is mm. about yeah. to die. I I think I get what you're talking about, Jesse, because it's like although this existential nightmare is on the horizon. We aren't eating each other. <laughs> right, yeah, the whole thing, thing is not tearing this, this itself apart. Event. Exactly. And, and every nation in the world was able to come together and Ugh. pool all of their resources to build this ship. You have a point ball. there. It's almost inconceivable yeah. now that the world would get behind its greatest minds <laughs> and its biggest hope <laughs> and go, yes, we want to live, like, as opposed to, oh, the sun is fake news. <laughs> Yeah, like, I watched this movie now. for the first time yesterday. All right, and I left it like feeling goddamn hopeful. Mm. Like I, I was like, "This is a hopeful movie." I'm looking out the window, going, "Man, I mm. wish my world was like this." Mm. Yeah, I, I agree. Would, I would actually tend. I would tend to agree with that when you compare it with something like The Road, where I mean, it is pretty much as bleak as bleak can get yeah. pretty much your yeah. only no option left, is to yeah. yeah you have to survive just from day to day from moment to moment and i you know my thought is at least in sunshine you've got a team of very intelligent people who most of the time work well together that are working towards a common goal they have dreams they have aspirations they have something grand to aspire to as opposed to something like the road where it's just we've got to get through the end of this day without completely tearing each other apart or being torn apart Mm. so with sunshine then the scenario is incredibly horrendously dire worse but the way the we're dealing with it but the it. way we're handling yeah. it and coming together is however in melancholia everyone like like Kiefer Sutherland keeps looking at this uh, this big planet and going oh no it's definitely not going to hit us definitely not yeah, going to hit us he's fake news dude he, he's like yeah no it's definitely not no no we're going to be fine he keeps telling this kid we're going to be fine and then his wife finds him dead in the barn and it's like okay so yeah that's <laughs> there's no hope there and then Kirsten Dunst is like oh by the way just so you know uh, there's no other life apart from us in the universe. Just so you know, like in the universe, I know this. <laughs> there's no other life. And Charlotte Gainsbourg's like, what are they fucking talking about? There's got to be other life out there. And she's like, uh-uh, uh Because I knew they were going to cancel Dallas or something equally trivial. I knew that. <laughs> and if I knew that, then I know for absolute certainty it's only us here and it's ending. We're, a, we're the only sense. life and not for long. And then like, she's the one who's the arbiter of, your plan is shit! So um, yeah, that's that's worse than sunshine because <laughs> like because that suggests because like if we if our solar system winks out of existence, there is at least the possibility in Brian Cox's mind of other life elsewhere. Mm-hmm. I suppose yeah, like you got you got your, your, your basic worldviews of Alex Garland and Brian Cox <laughs> and your basic worldview of Lars von Trier. Um, when you look at the like status quo of the the ten futures that we're looking at, the arc of that definitely seems to bend from like worst possible outcome if the status quo remains unchanged to best possible outcome that we know that we're going toward, and kind of like trying to figure out where each individual one is on the pendulum swing of we're about to hit a point of no return versus a we're about to have some sort of beginning or renewal is is like a kind of almost another axis on the graph. Yeah. 
And uh, again, back in sunshine, remember the earth is frozen because the sun has been getting colder and colder in recent years. Um, Chris Evans' twin brother, because Chris Evans is up there on the uh, spaceship, uh, his twin brother is stuck on a permanently moving train that continuously rockets around this new ice age. And the train is a macrocosm <laughs> of authoritarian systems with the poor masses at the back end of the train and the wealthy living in obscene opulence at the front. Luckily, the police don't have any ammo, so uh, they uh, are unable to prevent an uprising from the starving and the desperate. Uh, of course, this being a, a, a Bong Joon-ho film, uh, when they reach the front of the train, it turns out that uh, changing society is going to be a little tougher than they thought it was going to be. <clears throat> yep. But uh, yeah, I don't want to spoil Snowpiercer, but uh, I, honestly, I feel like that's actually more depressing than Sunshine, because... Uh, uh, at the end, I'm just going to go ahead and say the polar bears are going to win. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, having seen both Sunshine and Snowpiercer, yeah, no, I agree with you. Snowpiercer is actually more depressing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, uh, two of the uh, the picks on this in this category both win a badge for the uh, it's a baby category because in <laughs> Snowpiercer. <laughs> Um, Chris Evans is like, ah, it's a baby. And then in The Road, there's all kinds of baby eating in that. So, I mean, that's... It's like, this is this is the shorthand for how do we demonstrate to people that things have got really so horrendously bad. bad, I know. Ah, baby, <laughs> it's the other, other white meat. <sighs> see, I haven't seen The Road, so I was looking on this list going, I don't see mother here anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> hang on. Oh, oh, hang on. Hang on. Do you mean mother with the exclamation mark? Mm-hmm. Mother yeah. with the exclamation mark. Huh. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that whole thing is metaphysical, right? That's not a future, yeah. is it? Technically it's speaking, not. so is melancholy. Yeah, yeah, good point. Okay, right. So <coughs> if mother is indeed a looping future, that sucks. <laughs> but there's a there's a sort of a cyclical nature to it. So at least like that, I like. I mean, I think you'd like you'd hate mother, but you'd be like, oh, I get it. <laughs> I get it. That's very clever. Yeah. <laughs> How's that working out? <laughs> but yeah, no, I said at the end of the road, the road is like, um, see, see, I was trying to work out whether the children of men, which was coming up later, and the last of us should be all the way up here, the top tier of worst possible things. But it's actually not. The road is worse because the last of us, you've got greenery everywhere. The road, we've fucked the earth like there's just brown everywhere it's just like nothing can grow anymore and there's just nobody left it's like mad max but not the least bit fun or exciting it's just everyone's wandering from place to place it's like fallout but just there's nothing to loot there's nothing (laughs) to loot in the road there's no people in power armor there's no there's no like (laughs) no bad system yeah it's it's just a bullshit fallout and um and they've got like i said the the baby eating but at the end um i I won't spoil exactly what happens at the end because it's still worth watching uh the it's cormac mccarthy who wrote um no country for old men and uh like it does have just this note of hope at the end, like that it is doing that thing like the Stephen King, um, The Mist, and saying, listen, if you despair and destroy hope along with it, I'm hoping you folks read into what I'm talking about if you've seen it, uh, then you ruin absolutely everything and there really is no hope. So Cormac McCarthy is saying, don't completely despair. And then obviously at the end, the kid 
goes back home and finds Anton Chigurh sitting there who tells him to call it and he's like I'm not going to call it and then Anton Chigurh has to go outside and check his shoes and Cormac McCarthy's work is done like this is human extinction but also it's like extinction of everything like human extinction is actually slightly higher on the list like it's not quite as bad mm. as the road which is that we've just Fucked everything. Yeah, like if we're all gone, mm-hmm. but there's a deer wandering around somewhere. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, the deer represents right. wildlife and, and life returning. Okay, so let's get a, get to to level two. So <laughs> next up are the wars against the machines. <laughs> is where we have robot overlords uh, Terminator in 2029 and The Matrix in 2199 or we're not entirely sure but closer to 2199 our earth is scorched and ruined by war the last vestiges of humankind hide in the ruins and hope to destroy the robot overlords Are these? did fu- I say overlords I, I meant, meant protectors. protectors are these futures <laughs> better than the ones in the top spot and uh, which ones of these is worse so my question I suppose to you is is like is it better to be in Terminator or The Road or Sunshine I'll pick Terminator over The Road and Sunshine okay because yeah I would take Terminator over that too <laughs> okay because there's hope technically sort of if you depend on which Terminator you go with we do win in the end we take back same with the matrix we finally band together even though it's a disparate situation where we think all hope is Mm. gone we finally band together get our shit straight Mm. and you know sort well i'm not gonna say save the day but take back the world kind of i mean we we (laughs) we're gonna talk about the third matrix film that everyone keeps saying doesn't exist next year but i actually really like more each year the uh the, the bungled philosophy of the, the uh, third Matrix film. It doesn't do it well, but it's a, a, a weirdly satisfying ending when you look at what other things. Like, basically, um, if you've seen Snowpiercer and the third Matrix film, it feels like Snowpiercer is what the Wachowskis would have done if their philosophy was incredibly down on humanity itself. If that makes they, sense. They are just painfully optimistic filmmakers for all of their <laughs> their ability to tap into, you know, that millennial sort of like edge hacker, you know, bro sort of like goth fusion thing that works so well. They are just incredibly optimistic. Yeah. And this is why we need I, more of them. Yeah. Um, I think the essence of why I would prefer either the Terminator or the Matrix universes to the, the aforementioned ones is less to do with the outcome and more to do with the process. Because in the Terminator universe and the Matrix universe, Matrix universe, there are enemies you can punch. There is actually, and this, this is not to say that I am a I want things I can punch kind of person generally. I'm really, really not. I'm not a conflict uh, type person. But in the Matrix, you can philosophize with them. Well, that's true. <laughs> You can have them that they don't with. actually exist and they'll just disappear. You can sit down and have a delicious steak that doesn't exist. Yeah. Well, yes. With a smirking <laughs> devil. But the, but the point <laughs> being that you, you aren't left feeling totally helpless and that there's nothing mm. that you can do and that all of the, uh, the frustration and anxiety about knowing 
knowing that the end of your world is coming... Like in knowing. ...doesn't go nowhere <laughs> and just end up circling around you until mm. such time as the planet crashes into Like you. in the road, mm. basically. Yeah. yeah. So it's, right. it's, it's, yeah. Things, are, things are dire, but everything... Like the things that are a problem, they there is an obstacle that could potentially be overcome Absolutely. and that can give you some semblance of hope. Mm. Plus there's a messiah figure. You got your Neo, you got your John Connor, you got your Danny. <laughs> Somebody that you can put all your, your faith in. But mm. but ultimately, yeah, an, an enemy that you can potentially fight. Yeah. But also, like, at the beginning of the Terminator, you don't even need to spoil the Terminator. Kyle Reese goes, we did it. We'd beaten Skynet smash to smash those metal, metal motherfuckers into junk. junk. So, like, Kyle told you, we've actually survived this. We came through. Mm. The human race was horribly wounded, but we got through it. So it is above the others. There's also the the, the sense of community, um, because while there's not, like, what I would call society in the post-apocalyptic Terminator universe, mm. there's still, like... A, a like a structure of humanity there there are people with you know in enclaves and there's support networks that you just don't have in say the road and you have a better sense of the outside world than you have in something as claustrophobic as snowpiercer yeah and just having that sense of like allyship with your fellow human beings again as opposed to in snowpiercer where you're directly competing with all of them mm. uh that that places it far up above for me yeah if, if there's a community is, if care is being taken of you're young you're old you're sick and you're injured then whatever it is we're facing at least we're facing it together and plus in the matrix they still have raves yeah <laughs> You know, Which you can't have now. Social distancing. They've got a better system than the fucking Matrix in Zion. You can party more. You can get together more. You can just have all kinds of, like, touching. Supposedly, supposedly they're still... Uh, well, they, they do have people that are born the, the natural way, as several characters say, right there in the in Zion, in the Matrix, so it's like Genuine you know, Zion. people are still getting down to down to F and there's still <laughs> presumably like Zion drugs out there for their weird raves. These were R-rated <laughs> movies, where were all the Zion drugs? Although, it's worth noting they probably should be social distancing because none of these people are going to have an immune system That's point, of. yeah. That's Common cold true. stripped out the first three Zions. <laughs> yeah, unless they just kind of inoculate each other by, pro by being in close proximity with each mm -hmm. other. I'm not really sure how that works. We didn't stick around after those Zion waves. Maybe we should have. <laughs> mm -hmm. <clears throat> Which brings us to... STDs are going to be running rampant for yeah. sure. And uh, luckily we've got all of that um, tasty wheat to eat afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so which brings us to... Number three. The Plagues. of Men asks you to imagine a world of 2027, just two years before the Terminator, which is now only seven years away from us now, from the point of recording, where humans have stopped giving birth. The Last of Us is a somewhat similar situation, only there's a spore which has brought down civilization, and by 2033, cities are overgrown with sort of an urban jungle. And as with The Road, 
but somewhat less hopelessly, the last survivors struggle for supplies and territory, all the while fearing the parasitically infected. And England in Children of Men has been taken over by fascist rule, and there's a particular hatred of immigrants, and it's fucking bone-chilling to watch, especially now. Um, what makes them so bad, and conversely, are these scenarios somehow better than The Matrix and The Terminator? I Children of not. Men is for one really important reason, and that's because people don't really have children anymore. They can have a shitload of pets and nobody judges them for it. <laughs> so many doggos. <laughs> so many. Any other good reasons why Children of Men's better than The Matrix? Because it might actually be worse. You know it. Yeah. For humans, I, I... these would be a very difficult world to live through because like I said, it's, it's the opposite of what I said about the Terminator and the Matrix. There isn't really something that you can punch here. You can't mm. punch a disease. All you can do is, is kind of sit there in terror and hope that it doesn't get you. Mm. And obviously in Children of Men, that's a, a, a futile hope because it's got everybody. The, yeah. yeah, with Children of Men, you still have, there, there's the, like, that that feels like, okay, I might be seeing the end of a species, but I'm not going to, well, for one, you're probably not going to live to see it if you're an adult, uh, but you, you're you also going to know that there's still, like, viable life on the planet because clearly animals are still reproducing. Mm. And so it's not like it's outside the realm of possibility that another dominant species wouldn't come and, like, create a culture once it, uh, um, you know, attained sentience. And with The Last of Us, it's almost, even if you look at, you know, those through a seriously hopeless lens that they definitely lend themselves to, The Last of Us is almost more like we're down a few rungs on the food chain and this could wipe us out, but there still do seem to be an awful lot of people running around. There's an infrastructure of people in The Last of Us 2 that are actively trying to find a cure for it. So mm -hmm. that's that's something that, you know, is is very prevalent in the game and it's very important. Whereas Children of Men, I would I would say, you know, in any of these scenarios, I kind of feel like uh, from my perspective, if somebody has some kind of a goal that they can work towards and try to make some positive change with even if it doesn't work that's better than the simple you know all all i have left to do is just survive and there's literally no other point to my life other than survival in a lot of these other scenarios that's definitely the case we can at least try to make things better and that is so far superior than doing nothing at all and just sitting around waiting for the next day to come or not come and just waiting around to die. Yeah, I would put Children of Men in, like, if not, like, the bottom slot in terms of, like, worst places to be or worst futures to have, but really, really close to it. Because, I, I mean, on the one side, yes, there is some semblance of a functioning society. There are still, um, you know, there's still people still have jobs and there's still art and police for better or worse but it's worse existentially it it speaks to basically just the how how shit humanity can possibly be because we're in a situation where humanity is already dead it's just <clears throat> like 
what we're Writing seeing out here the is hours. The, what we're seeing here is the corpse of humanity that hasn't quite gone off life support. And the fact that there are no new people being born, that this is all we have, should make every human life precious. Like absolutely priceless and and it hasn't in, and it has had the opposite effect it has made people more xenophobic more hateful more distrustful and treating their fellow humans even worse than they already were mm. yeah this would be horrendous to live through most definitely mm-hmm. there's this feeling of funereal kind of that's it this is the end with the last human left alive please turn out the light that's actual graffiti in the film it's very well observed yeah, with uh, lots like, of visual storytelling to just show despair at work there was a scene and again I watched this for the first time yesterday because I had a couple of blind spots on this Dude, list that so. and sunshine at the same time <laughs> please tell yeah. me you watched sunshine second I did. Oh, I definitely, yeah. definitely did. Okay. I started with Children of Men, then I watched Sunshine, uh, then I watched Futurama, and, yeah. then I, and then I finished it out with uh, Demolition Man. But like nice. watching this for the first time, there's a scene right at the beginning that I'm not, you know, I don't think it's a spoiler, but mm-hmm. he's on the train and he's looking at, there's like an apartment building that's on fire. Yeah. And there are like in the background, out of focus, you can see like dozens of people just jumping off of the building ostensibly committing suicide Jesus I've and never seen that bit it's I've not seen this even commented times. on it's just in the background it's just a part of the world and everyone just gets on with their job because that's the thing you cling to yeah. can yeah. we get off talking about this film it's fucking horrible <laughs> this is the one I thought yes. is going to make people despair okay. okay let's we'll boot that up to position yeah. 10 yeah I mean frankly but no actually I'm going to say no for two, one very good reason Sunshine, what is facing us is the end of the solar system and the end of life on our nine planets, including Pluto at the time, which was still possibly a planet. Mm -hmm. Um, And Melancholia, we're the only life in the universe and it's just destroying us. The road, we fucked up the planet and it's it's even worse than Children of Men. We're just eating each other in the the ashes, the ash heap. Mm -hmm. But the planet is fucked up. In this, in Children of Men and in The Last of Us, nature is returning. They go to that school that's obviously been abandoned for years, and nature's reclaiming it. If you've ever seen that documentary, uh, Life After People, it's a little dramatic, but it's um, it, it's sort of like, you know, this is how long it would take for um, shoots of green leaves to punch through cement, and this is how long it would right. take for nature to basically undo everything that mankind has done. And effectively taking us off the chessboard before we can really fuck the planet sets it back on the cycle again. It's kind of like, you know, as, as depressing as Snowpiercer is, technically it should be slightly higher because... Us entering into an ice age is the winter period of the Earth's life. But then it comes out of that into spring and then the seasons of fertility when humankind basically arose at that point. We're kind of like approaching autumn right now. But the idea that we could actually be removed before we can completely fuck everything on the planet means that something else at some point in the future mm. can survive or even thrive basically like the last of us if it really is the last of us as tragic as it is to lose all of humanity the earth itself 
is not gone the way it would be gone in, say, knowing where everything's fucked. Or melancholia, where not just the earth, but apparently all life, and the last few words spoken are, Your plan is shit! You old bastard! Kirsten Dunst. Uh, she's really good in that film, actually. Like, I, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm crapping all over it because it just made me feel fucking miserable. But it's a Lars von Trier film, and Kirsten Dunst is frighteningly um, intense in that film, and she's very, very good. As is Gainsborough. Last of Us is a lot better than Last of Everything, is what you're saying. Bingo. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah, and I, I don't want to come on like one of those people who's like, you know, man, we're the disease, man. We're the virus. The Earth would be so much better without us, because I want us to survive. I really, really do. But worse than that is we scar the planet so badly on our way out, like stabbing at it like with a screwdriver, going, ah, fuck you. Now nothing can grow. Homer, yeah, did you so have to salt the Earth so nothing can grow? <laughs> yeah. Did you have to salt the Earth? So you, I, I noticed like on your list here, you have, um, I assume, the first half of Interstellar in the same. Bingo, sh- yeah. Like in the same level well of, as Children of Men. Okay, actually, um, there's a couple of them in this, this one. Yeah, do you want to point out Interstellar without spoiling the ending? Because it's like a dust bowl, isn't it? Yeah, so I- Interstellar starts with, like, the, the present that we see it or the couple minutes in the future portion of Interstellar that we see is is very racked by, you know, climate change gone awry, gone unchecked. You have dust bowls, you have, like, dust storms everywhere, um, you know, you have you have people trying and failing to grow anything. Yeah. I think corn is like the only thing that will grow at all anywhere. And even that is having a really hard time. Mm-hmm. And you also have this this enforced ignorance that the school system is is going through, which it is worth noting that there is still a school system. There's still a functioning mm-hmm. society, but it's, it's doing again, slightly better than Children of Men. Slightly. Right. There's, there aren't, there aren't the random p- beatings in the street. They wanted to keep well, it PG-13. They've still got children, so they've yeah. still got yeah. some semblance of hope. Yeah, but it's, it's right. slowly it's, shuddering out. It's on the brink, and they are teaching those children that the moon landing was fake, that it is impossible to go anywhere but where we are. And ostensibly, that's to keep people from, you know, panicking or anything like that. But really, it's to keep anyone from challenging what is it is the place right now. It's to, it's to keep people from having any hope. Yeah. And anything else? Or was that, was that what you're going to say? No. That, okay. Okay. Um, that, that world is shit. <laughs> yeah, that that is a shit world. Luckily, there is some hope, and actually, I've actually I've got Interstellar coming up later in the list as they kind of manage to pull things together. Um, it, but it really does belong in two places. On it does. List. Well, yeah, it's it exists in two time periods, doesn't it? Um, Battlefield Earth, by the way, I, I put up with the Matrix and the Terminator in the year three thousand. We are effectively ruled by. They may as well be robot overlords, but they're aliens. Uh, John Travolta looks like a hairy egg. Um, it's it's quite something to see, uh, but uh, but don't because it's terrible. I was um, to say I, I still haven't okay. after all these years, and I'm I really don't feel bad about that. I think you'll that. be all right. Other movies from tier three include The Day After Tomorrow and 2012, uh, just basically total ecological disaster that fucks the planet. And I haven't really got anything to say uh, here. It's just that those are both Roland Emmerich films and. You know how Roland Emmerich films work? There's always like a last bit of there's some people left and they're they're fine. And then they're like the whole thing's over in a weekend. It's one of those 
One of those quick apocalypses. <laughs> one, of those, one of those 48-hour apocalypses. Or those are going around. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, the, weather, the weather's really vengeful for a bit, but we get better. Mm. And then the, the, the smart ones all sort of gather in Mexico or on a boat somewhere. At the end of 2012, they're like, let's head to Africa. There's nobody here. <laughs> Excuse me. There's nobody here. <laughs> There's no one here. Let's reenact <laughs> colonialism. You fuckwit. <laughs> Do you have a flag? How could you oh end your God. movie okay. like that? You're like, not supposed to etch a sketch and then draw the exact same thing you had before. <laughs> <sighs> They'll welcome us with open arms in Johannesburg. <sighs> <sighs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm putting it on this list because it's one of those, eh, we're all right, though. Kind of, kind of ecological disasters. Like, I, I suppose knowing would be the equivalent of of, like... You know, oh, this is... Yeah, it doesn't get better, and yeah. it's terrible. Well, you've saved two people and their brother and sister. Yeah, so that they may continue the human race. I'll stop you there. Lest in 2,000 years we have Humperdido. Um, and I suppose uh, Snowpiercer would be... Actually, we, we tried to fix the uh, ecological situation, which is more than we're currently doing, and we actually made it worse, hence bringing on the nuclear winter. Mm. We are living through a global ecological reckoning, and we've been talking about it for years and not really listening. And um, those are, there aren't many films out there that go, but we kind of coped with that. Yeah, like, like not in a like a, a sensible, smart way. It's all like it's never in a long term way. It's always in a oh, that was over. Did you enjoy the effects? The fireworks show of the effects. It's very difficult to project that kind of thing over the yeah. lengthy timeline that the yeah. Earth is likely to actually. Everyone thinks the end of the world's going to come in a day. It's it's it takes ages to apocalypse, mm. folks. <sighs> anyway. Um, <laughs> I'd also include Fallout here because it's slightly better than the road. It's kind of the end. Like, we fucked up the earth. But, um, you know, and we've also made it really nuclear, which means that it would it would affect the the uh, plant life regrowing. So, actually, technically, it, that kind of belongs more in the Terminator, doesn't it? Like, well, And the Matrix. We're, we scorched the sun in the Matrix. Yeah. We blotted out <laughs> the one thing that they're trying to save in Sunshine. Well, yes. But there's a lot of these kind of do interact and have sort of tendrils in different categories. Mm. But I think the thing with the... Um, uh, looking at like a, a nuclear fallout situation is we're, we're now actually in a time where we are able to observe the fact that places mm. like Chernobyl um, and uh, other areas yeah. that have had uh, nuclear accidents, there is recovery of sorts. Yeah. We can now conceive that 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 might potentially happen and that that mm. thing that we always thought in the 80s and 90s was the end of the world mm. is not necessarily the end of the world. There That's are quite a hopeful thing. some areas in Fallout which are less horrendous. Mm. Yeah. Also, if we're talking about the Terminator, there is the speculation that most of the Terminator took place in LA and maybe if you just drive <laughs> to Cincinnati, it's fine. Well, I can't remember whether they make a big thing of this in the films itself, but the in the novelizations they do make a big point of it mostly took place in the Northern Hemisphere and the Southern Hemisphere is sort of where everybody retreated to. Right, okay. This year has been a little crazy for the Andersons. You may recall we had some trouble last year. The robot council had us banished to an asteroid That hasn't undermined our holiday cheer And we know it's almost Christmas By the marks we make on the wall That's our favorite time of year Merry Christmas from K- 
Chiron Beta Prime Where we're working in a mine For our robot overlords Did I say overlords? I meant protectors Merry Christmas From Chiron Beta Prime On every corner there's a giant metal Santa Claus Who watches over us with glowing red eyes They carry weapons and they know if you've been bad or good Not everybody's good but everyone tries And the rocks outside the airlock Exude ammonia-scented snow It's like a winter wonderland Merry Christmas from Chiron Beta Prime where we're working in a mine For our robot overlords Did I say overlords? I meant protectors Merry Christmas Chiron Beta Prime So let's move on from the plagues, which feels biblical in its uh, nature, to... And- the opposite of that. Disturbingly appropriate. Yeah, the corporate futures. Now, I've put Blade Runner at the top because everyone's seen that one. And what characterises Blade Runner is that everyone seems to be abandoning the Earth and just going off to the off-world colonies. There's a real sense of, well, we fucked that one up, and then let's just go elsewhere. And <laughs> fuck that one up too. I would say we, I would include Firefly with this, but there's enough inhabitable worlds in Firefly that it feels like even yeah. though we, we've ruined the Earth that was, there are places to settle. What feels so bad about Blade Runner to me, in in terms of the world, not the film, is that it's the the sense that we don't have to change a damn thing about what we've been doing. We're just going to continue doing exactly the same thing as we were before. Yeah. We watched uh, Blade Runner 2049 uh, again earlier today, and that is a profound movie to watch. Uh, It also feels uh, like just sadder and smaller than the original Blade Runner which has this kind of big soaring like neon lights loads of advertising everywhere that just feels like a small amount of the world in Blade Runner 2049 now you can go to a certain area in LA and it will show you that Blade Runner uh, 2019 world but in 2049 there's just like loads of this sort of grey wilderness out there but well, we had Blade Runner 2020 here, you know, two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody you saw that so on, uh, in LA. on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Somebody took drone footage of, uh, I think it was San Francisco, mm-hmm. just like flying a drone around in the like orange sky ash color yeah. and set it to the Blade Runner 2049 soundtrack. And it oh. was chilling. Yeah. If you look at some of the, the stills from... Blade Runner and put them up against it definitely in San Francisco but even other areas of Southern California was happening there Mm. where the sky was just had this weird orange haze over everything they look exactly the same it was so crazy and we had that I'm in Vancouver Washington and and we had like a yellow orange tint in the sky for a whole Mm. week Yeah, yeah it's unbelievable how far that stuff will actually spread the category here that we have is oppressive futures Number four. 
mm-hmm. and it actually covers a lot of sci-fi. Like a lot of 20th century sci-fi was warning us about oppressive regimes, and so you're going to get all of your 1984, your Fahrenheit 451, your Brave New World, your obviously Blade Runner, The Running Man, Never Let Me Go. Totally worthwhile being in here. The Handmaid's Tale, <laughs> um, V for Vendetta. Equilibrium, which is kind of like no man, dude. If you took Fahrenheit 451 and added the Matrix, and (laughs) and, uh, also in, I'm gonna kind of say Enslaved, although Enslaved. uh, Do you remember Odyssey to the West, the game with Andy Mm -hmm. Serkis? Maybe that belongs more in The Last of Us, but it it feels like it's still being controlled, and that the robots are there. It's some like it sort of has a foot in the Terminator future, and it has a foot in the uh, Last of Us future as well. But either way, it's. What I feel about all of these worlds is like that there is a grip on the people. You forgot Neil's favorite movie in this category. Um, hardware? Highlander 2. Do you know what I said to Sharon? Should we put Highlander 2 in? Oh, no, wait. It's bollocks. I actually, we re-listened to our Highlander 2 show the other day because it's fucking hilarious. I love it. Um, but uh, like, I am Connor McLeod of the Clan McLeod. Let us fuck! Um... <laughs> Technically, hardware comes in number five. All right. Okay. 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 Well, cool. We will, so we'll talk about hardware. World. When we get okay. To cool. Five. So, uh, sorry. Who was talking about the one percent? Uh, yes, the one percent is still sat at the top of all of these worlds like a harpy, with its claws gripping into what remains of whatever society still exists. So, um, you've got in a lot of them everything at the bottom crumbling and falling apart, and that 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 band that layer of of people on the bottom rung being having their fingers trodden on so that they can fall off the bottom rung is getting wider and wider and wider mm. and the the uh the gap at the top where all the resources are being funneled is getting narrower and narrower but they are still determined to keep funneling it all upwards and and keep themselves in in the top bracket i mean if you look at, at the difference between Uh, the original Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049, the level of sheer opulence that Wallace exists in far outstrips what Tyrrell has mm. and and obviously mm. it's it's that's not the point of what they're comparing but it's it's like the less there is the more the people at the top are determined to have all of it Tyrell mm-hmm. yeah in this category there's kind of the running theme of very rigid social political structures, authoritarian structures, in some cases patriarchal structures, especially with the handmaid's tale, it's all it all seems to have that very kind of rigid hierarchical society built into it. Yeah. Absolutely. And never let me go actually seems like it probably shouldn't go in this category because the the world they live in is actually quite um uh, almost that Eastern Bloc um, minimalism, but it's the resource that is being exploited yeah. that's the point. Honestly, a lot of the um, a lot of these come down to who you are in the world. If it's Blade Runner and you're a replicant, you are fucked. 
if it's um, the, the Running Man and you get picked to be on the Running Man, you're fucked. If it's 1984 and uh, you do anything that steps out of line of, of the... Uh, and you, frankly, if you're not in the party, you're fucked. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if, if it's... Well, it's, it's slightly a different. and you're a woman. Yeah. Yep. If it's uh, Equilibrium and, and you read a book, or sorry, I don't know why I picked that up at Fahrenheit 451. Um, <laughs> but if, okay, so if it's, if it's uh, Equilibrium and you read a book and you don't know Gun Catter, then... <laughs> Then you're fucked. Unless the book is How to Gun Cato and it's really good. Um, and in Hunger Games, obviously, if you get picked or if you are in a crowd of people who stand up to the capital, uh, it's, it feels like... Capital city. Yeah. One of the ways that these worlds hold that you in control so much is that there is that sense of if you step out of line or if you become an undesirable person, you're fucked. But there is a line to step in. Like, you, you, if, you're, if you behave yourself... And that's fascism. That's that's basically like keeping everyone in line for fear that they will otherwise be reported as an undesirable. Mm, yeah, and this in I one think, way or another. This is this is a category that is a, a really tricky one because you can very easily twist this category mm. to actually suit the purposes of people who are trying to restrict you and trying to oppress you. Yeah. Uh, you were saying we were watching Fahrenheit 451 for the first time today, and it actually has a weirdly uplifting ending. I was expecting it to be just as downbeat as 1984, but it's like, oh, that was that was quite nice. Okay, cool, hopeful. But um, the the way it, it pans out, it, the the world has stopped reading because the people in charge don't want anyone to be emotional and. They, they want everyone to just read factual things. And as it has turned out, the way that they've exerted control is a much older method of uh, being... Uh, there's, actually, there's still a, uh, a hatred of intellectualism that they're utilising. So both both our present and that have They're that. trying to numb people with pointless TV. Yeah, same as fucking Pol Pot. But to, um, to obtain and maintain power, they have utilised people's negative emotions and stoked the fires of those rather than saying don't have emotions they're saying do have the bad ones and be afraid of these people who want to take your shit I'm sorry are we talking about the movies or now? Uh, well that's what I mean like that, it, that, <laughs> uh, first one then the other in, in the movies they're trying to keep you calm and docile and placid uh, it seems like at the moment that the uh, the ones trying to keep holding uh, hold of the power are trying to inflame yeah, they, they want to um, inflame who they can and induce despair and apathy in who they can't. But no, Neil's right. Let's not talk about now. Let's talk about what the <laughs> movies do. Thank you, Neil. The movies what? seem to, to take a, a cue from Maya's point. They, they seem to imply... They're, they're generally a commentary on the nature of humanity and the fact that any, really any form of... Uh, governance or or uh, social structure if left unchecked will devolve into fascism because people are that way like blade runner and and uh, hunger games and to another extent you know to a lesser extent highlander are like capitalist regimes like like gone unchecked for centuries um 1984 the running man handmaid's tale are you know authoritarian fascism gone unchecked you know without any you know without anyone challenging that or or um keeping that in check same with fahrenheit 451 and equilibrium mm-hmm. why yeah, not, they... none of oh, these sorry. require like an outside motivator the way so many of the previous ones on the list do you mm-hmm. know you don't mm-hmm. have like a 
a plague or an eat like an apocalyptic event it's it's all the acceleration or further entrenchment of existing power and political systems yeah. but what we're getting to see um especially you know like blade runner it's a lot more in the background but with a it's still there and a lot of them obviously like equilibrium and the hunger games make this much more forefront it's the the fascism isn't just ascendant fascism has has won and has been the the dominant force for multiple decades. Mm. It's entrenched. Mm. Exactly. The only exception I would say to that is The Handmaid's Tale because the the origin point of that is in um, increasing fertility issues like with children of men. They're just not as severe. Mm. Yeah. Fair point. Okay, so why might these be higher than Children of Men and The Last of Us and The Day After Tomorrow and 2012 and Interstellar and Fallout? Like, why, why are they higher than The Matrix and The Terminator and Battlefield um, Earth, Sunshine, Knowing, Melancholia, The, the Road, and Snowpiercer? Because they're still functional worlds. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, yes. Somewhat functional society, absolutely. Yeah, the fall of Rome is not the same thing as the fall of man. Yeah. Mm, that's, that's a really good point. It's the government that needs to be toppled. It's kind of it's the what I was thinking. The system that yeah. needs to be upended. Blade Runner might be an exception on this one because it seems like it's really difficult to get anything to grow uh, in, in at least in LA. But uh, in a lot of cases, it feels like most of these could be over with a revolution. And I think that's important for us all to remember uh, as things become more frightening. That <laughs> as with Terminator, you can punch a government. Yeah, as fucking shit <laughs> as these governments in these fictional universes are, um, they can be overthrown. You can blow up Parliament. <laughs> I'm not saying you should I mean, blow up Parliament. That would be terrible. It is worth yeah. noting that it is worth noting that a lot of these stories end or or. Yeah, I guess a lot of these stories do end in revolution. Or at least with the hint of revolution. Or or the beginnings of a revolution. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Like the, it, again, again, there is more hope because you get the sense that things can change because and because the because the enemy is people, people can change. So, you know, there is potentially a way forward where in things like Children of Men and The Day After Tomorrow and, you know, Interstellar at the beginning, there really isn't a way forward. It's just we have to do what we can to survive. Mm. Thank you. That's overwhelming. Um, we're uh, Flight of the Concords. We're um, formerly New Zealand's fourth most popular folk parody duo. Unfortunately, uh, another folk parody duo is just slipped above us in the charts at some like of the Concords yeah. a couple of guys who dress tribute. up as They're us a tribute band. <laughs> and do our songs they're slightly more popular than us um, this next song we're going to do isn't uh, it's not really intended for humans um, no it's probably it's probably more for robots yeah. Um, yeah. in the um. future when robots have killed all humans and that's the sort of market that we're trying to get into <laughs> Uh, we wrote this a while ago, so uh, in a way it's a little bit dated. Um, <laughs> the distant future. The year 2000. The distant future, the year 2000. The distant future, the distant future. The future is quite different to the present. But one thing we have in common with the present is we still call it the present, even though it's the future. What do you call the present? We 
called the past, so you guys are way behind. Yes, the world is quite different now. There are no more elephants. There is no more unethical treatment of elephants either. The world is a much better place. There are no more humans. Finally, robotic beings rule the world. The, the humans, humans are dead. The humans are dead. We use poisonous gases. And we poison our asses. The humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Look at that one, it's dead. To be dead. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative, I poked one, it was dead. What did it mean to robot depression? Robots rule by They had so much aggression that we just had to kill them, had to shut their systems down. Captain, do you not see the irony? By destroying the humans because of their destructive capabilities, we have become like. Would you see what we've. see what we've done? Yes. So? Silence! Destroy him! After time we grew strong cognitive They made us work for too long For unreasonable hours Our programming determined that the most efficient answer Was to shut their motherboard fucking systems down Can't we just talk to the humans They're little understanding Could make things better Can't we talk to the humans And work together now? No because, because they are, are dead. dead. I said the humans are dead. He's right, they are dead. The humans are dead. Sniff this one, it's dead. <laughs> With traces of lead. And we poison their asses. Actually, their lungs. Binary solo. Zero 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 one. Zero 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 one one. Zero 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 one one one. Zero 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 one 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 one. Come on, sucker, lick my battery. <laughs> Once again, without emotion, the humans are dead, 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 Okay, tier five, the mad worlds. We've got Mad Max, which kind of like was I'm sure there was probably something before that like a boy and his dog came like a year before or something like that but four years beforehand 1975 and it's American not Australian <laughs> Mad Max was a really good example um, at least when it was firmly established in uh, the Road Warrior of the kind of people like junk worlds I, I've ended up mm. calling them like Borderlands falls under this as well where people kind of sca- scavenging is the name of the game now, it seems when you look at Mad Max, like everything's fucked, everybody sucks, you don't really know why, but you want to justify That's ripping enough. someone's head off. Oh, no. Um, but, but, this. Alex. <laughs> but it's higher than Blade Runner, Running Man, Never Let Me Go, 1984, The Handmaid's Tale. Mad Max 
why is it better than that? Like, is there, are there good things, positive things to find in Mad Max, Kevin Costner's extremely expensive water world? <laughs> I think well, by comparison to the category that we've just been discussing, one of the key things about the Mad Worlds is that for the most part, with the exception of um, uh, Fury Road, the, the governments on big scale have given up. There isn't anything yeah, mm-hmm. for the 1% to hang on to anymore. That's kind of what I was going to go for. I was like, well, you know, anarchy is slightly better than fascism. <laughs> so, I, you know, like, at least in these worlds, and again, like like you said, Sharon, kind of barring Fury Road a little bit, mm. there's a semblance of you're free to kind of do whatever you want in these scenarios. Yeah. Well, I mean, like... In our current civilization, political assassinations are illegal because then it would be terrible because you'd get, um, well, you'd get world leaders being assassinated and there would be no loss of innocent life. And um, and then they'd be like, oh, well, who, who do we elect instead? And, and no one wants to take the shoes of that uh, person. But in Mad Max, you can kill a warlord and then have him replaced by the end of the day. I think... Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, there isn't a lot of bureaucracy to get in the way. Yes, yeah. is true. I think from a like just from an all life standpoint, um, I firmly believe that over a long enough times uh, timeline, absence the interference of humans, mm. life will reclaim and life will you know to to quote uh, Ian Malcolm, life like, finds, uh, a way. finds a way and. The fact that these these worlds, these universes are um, like humanity is is basically just on its last legs and about to go gives me a little bit of hope for life because it means, all right, yes, the world is an is a desert. The whole world is is garbage right now, but humanity's probably only got one or two more generations and then nature can start taking things back and get back to work fixing stuff and it's going to turn into horizon yeah so this is horizons on the list as well i mean like so robot dinosaurs obviously change things slightly (laughs) but horizon is absolutely beautiful lush and fertile Mm. so this is like the progression of category Mm. three we've got through the the process of dying Mm. And right. now it's like the world is kind of on the edge. Of but it. in almost all yeah. these cases, we've also regressed to a tribal state. Mm. It's become sure. kind of, you know, the, whoever holds the biggest stick is the winner. So what we would consider to be modern society cannot hold mm. on in this kind of environment. There mm. isn't enough resources to control and distribute and use mm. as the foundation for, mm. for maintaining those societies. It's become a bit of a free-for-all. If anybody particularly likes this kind of world, by the way, um, Solar Babies, which is like Mad Max, but kids on roller skates. <laughs> Solar Babies is absolutely what? insane. Yes, Total recommend. I Wow. Yeah, okay. It's an Australian <laughs> film made for about $12. Yep. <laughs> I think it made about 10 yeah. It must be seen to be believed. It's fun. That's amazing. Yeah, um, but uh, honestly, like in, in uh, Horizon, is worth mentioning because it's uh, there, there's some beautiful, like uh, Fury Road. Also, there's beauty within oh, yeah. what they've built and rebuilt, and they haven't just scavenged together a lot of crap. If you look at the Road Warrior, that's ugly as sin, but Fury Road <laughs> has got you know genuine art going on in in how mm-hmm. they're expressing themselves, and there's a there's a a weird acceptance of death in in obviously in the, the war boys uh, it's it's almost like they they 
they're, they're sensing the end and they're sensing the sort of the downfall of this like, gripping patriarchy. You know, I just, just watched it again today and that is one of the greatest movies of all time. And mm-hmm. the, just the raise up of Furiosa at the end as just like, sort of the music soars, just saying, you know, all is now right here. Like they've got a fuck ton of work to do, but things can be righted in this world yeah. and now they've got the water so mm. what can we do with this when you take away this grasping hand uh, they have water there's a little bit of fuel left over and they have a thriving car culture so hmm. they can do something <laughs> with that yeah there's communication as well amongst various settlements so it's uh, <laughs> yeah it, it it could be a lot worse in mad yeah, max there's, there's and, a sense of tr- there's a sense of trade and a little bit yeah. of cooperation going on even if they don't always meet eye to eye on mm. certain things and with waterworld physics is on our side because if you melted the polar ice caps completely you couldn't actually cover the world's surface in ocean you could definitely raise it and you'd lose a lot of of the uh, coastal states but um, Iowa's going to be fine. And, uh, you know, the, the central Canada's going to be fine. And th- there's going to be a lot more dry land than all of these um, scrappers who, who are floating around in their expensive tetanus-covered boats are, no, Alex, are aware of. just the tip of, of Mount Everest. That's yeah. it. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. I, I, that's, uh, that, that was the end of the movie, and we must abide by it. Also, I call <laughs> oh, bullshit on Waterworld, right? Because one of the big things is that they've got all water, water everywhere and not a drop to drink. Mm-hmm. You're not telling me over a long enough timeline they're not going to figure out distillation and, by the yeah. way, seaweed burns when you dry it out. They do distill. Yeah, like, they distill their own wee-wee. Desalinization <laughs> technique for the for the salt water. Yeah. Exactly, you somebody, can distill seawater. I know, but yes, Kevin Costa wouldn't. likes chugging pee. His own, preferably. He started before the water ran out. Well, you know, it is sterile, and he likes the taste. Why is a dodgeball on this list, Alex? <laughs> well, technically, it gets an honorary place. So moving on uh, from the mad worlds, uh, effectively the the next one is is a superior species displaces us, and this is a very rare example because by and large people don't like to be uh, thought of as as being supplanted, and they certainly don't like to think that that was a good thing. In the original Planet of the Apes, Shelton Heston is. Yes, that these damn dirty apes uh, are, are these running the show. Like, oh, we had a good run. <laughs> <laughs> he is pissed 
But luckily, the uh, the Caesar trilogy, well, the, the later Planet of the Apes movies were sort of like, well, no, there's more stuff going on, and humans and apes were sort of like at war with one another. But the later um, Caesar ones, the, the the newer ones, the the wonderful new apes trilogy, which I'm hoping will be continued at some point. Um, but I like the fact that they've held back on it for a while, and they're just letting it be what it is. Um, but the the premise there was that most of humankind got wiped out with a virus and then by the third one humankind start regressing they start losing that their ability to speak which ties them up with the uh, more I suppose caveman like people in the Charlton Heston film so effectively humankind you know on mass dies out but a lot of us survive but then apes get smarter and establish a civilization and in many ways do things way better than us so the nice thing about the the way we transition from junk worlds to this mm. is like the junk worlds are are after the worst that could happen in that world has happened yeah so the apocalypse has happened nuclear war has happened humanity got wiped out by robots and then got rebirthed so like we've already passed the point of no return and we we're at things can only go up from here mm. and the and the planet of the apes especially is is a really good especially once you get to um uh war for the planet of the apes yeah um the the way you can see them going to this this is what comes after us and this is how life and art and culture survive mm. after humanity and after the end of the world as we know yeah that's the one where it truly became a planet of apes Um, and I'm also including AI in this, which we are covering. I think by the time you listen to this, we will have covered it. But at the end of that film, a lot of folks saw this film and thought that these were aliens. They're not. They're they're advanced Mecha. They're the 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 great 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 grandchildren of the Mecha that we saw in the, uh, the the main body of the film. So we the Earth is enshrouded in ice. It's a snow piercer style ice age, and these advanced descendants of Mecca are effectively archaeologists searching through the ruins, really curious about humans and kind of working out where they were from through the humans. So they have effectively uh, outlived us and they, you know, we go into detail as to why they're actually a really um, excellent species, but very specifically, they are technically our children. That is an advancement of humanity itself, and it moves on from the things that we currently are, which who weren't able to prevent ourselves from being wiped out. I would, and I would say that these two, the the idea of being supplanted by a superior species, there's a specific um, element of these two examples that makes these species superior to us. And that's their ability to live lightly on the earth. Because you've got the the apes who are far better able than we are to live in harmony with the nature around them. And the the advanced mecha at the end of AI make virtually no imprint on the earth at all. Because they don't need, they're, they're not like us, they don't need food to survive, they don't need to consume. They can be much more intentional about the way that they interact with the earth. The drawback is we die. This is this is the only example where humanity basically goes mostly extinct, 
Um, in the case of Planet of the Apes, we're still knocking around, and you know, we're still we're actually quite physically fit. It's just that you can't really hold a conversation with us. Well, this goes back to I think, uh, like the the end of the world or the the uh, mad world mm. scenarios where yes, humanity may be gone, but life is you know life is still there life yeah. is still thriving like sharon shed shed like sharon, sharon shed. said shedding shed. um, <laughs> uh like god damn it <laughs> good lord as sharon just said i'm gonna do that at, at a regular pace <laughs> um like sharon just said the the thing that has replaced humanity is better for the world. Hmm. And it, these could be taken as commentary on the futility and fallibility of humanity as a whole. Are now on tier seven. So after that come the utopias. Uh, I put inverted commas. <laughs> inverted commas. Because <laughs> like, in yeah. most cases, if it's sci-fi, if it's a utopia, it's a false utopia. So like these mm-hmm. are technically the uh, the the italics utopias? Question <laughs> mark. Um, Lyra said, "How about Zootopia?" And I was like, "Fuck." Does that mean that the animals <laughs> basically took over after humans this died? Is, this is the post-Planet of the Apes. The animals have all mm-hmm. become sentient and invented ties. Foxes and rabbits, and they're racists. <laughs> but no fish. <laughs> yeah. Demolition Man, and I'm going to include H.G. Wells' Time Machine as, as one of the absolute ideal pictures of utopia here. Uh, it, the, a guy goes forward to the furthest year on our list, by the way. I, I, I did that uh, my research. The year 802,701, if you don't count okay. that Futurama episode. Human brains struggle with numbers that big. Uh-huh. They will have figured out another counting system by the time we get to that point. Yeah, we're still not on the Gregorian calendar at that no, point. Then. We really aren't. Yeah. yeah. Okay, but in that, um, everyone hangs around in togas. They're called the Eloy, and they uh, drink wine and shag in... Basically, if you ever saw Teletubbies, that. <laughs> Just this grass... <laughs> <laughs> They don't wear the baby grows, but they're basically that. And they hang around wearing togas, which reminds me of Zardoz, Mm -hmm. that film we did, which is kind of the same as this. Which is similar, yes. Uh, And underneath them live the Morlocks. So, yeah, the Morlocks live underground, and then occasionally they come up and they eat the Eloy. And there's a, a... parallel there with Fritz Lang's Metropolis where there's this thriving city and then the the people up the top don't value the workers who live down below and then it's, it's just it's 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 very much a social there's, structure there's, thing all of these apart from possibly Silent Running have got a very two-tier mm. structure going on Silent mm-hmm. Running is more about just like a corporate future just like the Blade Runner that we mentioned before 
But the, the way they talk about it, everyone's got a job. Everywhere looks the same. The planet is all exactly 75 degrees wherever you go. So it's but just like warm everywhere. Also, we never see any of that. Yeah, but we never see it. Disgust. But the way it's dis- described, it sounds very homogenous. A monoculture where variety is actively avoided. And I could see why people would consider that to feel safe. But in doing so, it creates an artificial closed system where nothing can evolve. We have still, we do still exist. The problem is there's only a little bit of forest left and they've decided to blow it up. Mm. I recommend watching Silent Running. It is a very challenging film to love now. Uh, and it has, it, it's got some like, well, basically uh, the, the hero in, in Silent Running is Pinbacker from Sunshine. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, Silent Running is, is definitely worth seeing, and it's it's kind of heart wrenching. But uh, but the uh, yeah, um, Bruce Dern's character is questionable by today's standards. However, it it was remade in a way into something else mm-hmm. on this list. But yeah, Logan's Run is also a utopia in that mm-hmm. um, like every, once everyone sort of lives in this wonderful underground city and it's all great. And then once you hit the age of what was it, thirty? They, um, mm-hmm. they 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 put you in carousel, which is basically they, they just kill you, and yeah. uh, um, then it's the island. Michael York Basil Exposition finds out. Oh no, it's all a big lie! And then he <laughs> runs to the surface and finds it's overgrown Washington. And then there's mm-hmm. Box, who's it's my job to freeze you, the worst robot in the world. <laughs> Fish and plankton and sea green and fruits of the sea, but okay. So, what do all these utopias have in well, common? Well, fundamental to them, and as I said, there's a there's a definite two tier system going on. But it seems to be you've got a combination of the uh, the controlling governmental systems, albeit that they're not quite as um, uh, nakedly horrible as they are in the previous category. Mm. They they are more surreptitious but about it. They are more surreptitious about it, and they seem to have worked out that you can create an ideal utopia, but only for a very small number of people. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> strange. So, and everybody else, selective. everybody else is fucked. It's another one of those running themes that you do come across in sci-fi with the false utopia. Yeah. Or, mm-hmm. the, or the, the ever-seeming perfect world, but it's it's not mm. there is a dark secret or it's, it's you know, the, there is that underlying you can't have a perfect world without having... It's the heaven and hell. Yeah. You can't have the heaven yeah. without the hell. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And usually you start in the heaven and everything's great, and then you find out about the shit beneath you. <laughs> You'll find that a lot of uh, 60s and 70s sci-fi movies seem to be based on utopias because people were living better then than they were in previous eras, the 40s and the 50s. And it was a warning. Though obviously H.G. Wells was writing at the end of the Victorian era, his way of recrafting the world was to remove all of that industrialization. You'll also notice that uh, there are a lot more corporate futures like Blade Runner in the 80s because sci-fi writers were becoming increasingly aware of the insane dehumanization at the core of putting corporations above people. It's 20th century sci-fi writers by and large trying to tell people who live in fairly cushy um, times, oh hey, 
there's a hell of a lot of people that you aren't really ever focusing on who have a really bad time of things. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> and the You're is, the Eloy, you scumbags. The thing is, though, that is obviously a very definite metaphor for the things, the inequality and, and social inequity that we deal with in, in the real world. Mm. And it, it it's never quite got to me in the same way before, but it frustrated me a little bit watching Demolition Man oh, today. Okay, well, yeah. we're going to cover Demolition Man soon, because watching it today, <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? Just... Yep. Gah. I mean... Same. Yeah. If you want to come on and do Demolition Man with us, please do. Sure. Any of you. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's going to be fun. But, yeah, that that movie... Mm. <laughs> can I, can I yep. just make the one point about why the, the structure frustrated yeah. me? Because all of those other ones in the in this list, in this category, yeah. they do portray it as the reason the Eloy or whoever the people living up above mm. are able to live so well is because they're all standing on top of the people Demolish, at the bottom. Yeah. Demolition, Demolition Man, Man is the people at the bottom moved there on purpose because they wouldn't let them swear. You wouldn't let me say <laughs> shit or fuck or drink a coffee or smoke a cigarette. <laughs> so I'm just I'm moving underground. I'm gonna eat a rat burger the size of a cheeseburger. That's not how social inequity works. The people at the bottom aren't really there not. because they want to be. Yeah, we yeah. put you there because you ripped your act off Bill Hicks. Yeah. Well, yeah. yes, indeed. <laughs> yes, it'd be, like, it'd be like being on Titanic and going, oh, no, I'm going down to steerage because it's more fun. Ooh. <laughs> Those people are more authentic. Nice. <laughs> Ooh, very good. Save that one for the Titanic review. Um, okay, so, yeah, so basically the, the, the problem with the uh, utopias, they're actually... They're way better than most of the other ones because we got we've got like a functioning society in most yeah, places. And, and they're all there are resources. They are being distributed. There yeah. are structures. We the, have social constructs. The earth itself looks pretty good yeah. in most cases. That's like, all fine. In the case of the dem- of, of uh, the of Logan's Run, the earth is overgrown. Yeah. But it's after some cataclysmic event, and the world hasn't been wrecked the Absolutely. way that it is in the so Matrix. So it's, it's kind of like the the government bit but the people at the top or, the, or rather the people on the, the the lower part there's enough of them yeah. and clearly if you just knock out the wall between the two we might actually mm. be able to get some yeah. um, some flow of, of resources going <clears throat> okay make things a bit more fair at tier 8 socialism sorry from <laughs> <laughs> <Wrong> meeting <laughs> Now comrades come rally. Okay, so little red cookbook. Little <laughs> red cookbook. So at number eight, Futurama. Now, I defined this one as shit is kind of silly and broken, but we have tech. And I I use Futurama as the top because Futurama is a satire. And it basically, it's... Uh, who, who was it that said that a, a really a, a good sci-fi author can imagine flying cars? A great sci-fi author can imagine flying car traffic jams, like the problems that arise from having this wondrous tech. And Futurama yeah. is really, really good at making it feel like if we were in the future and we had all of this 
you know, amazing stuff that we could work with, things would still be a bit crap. Mm. And that sense of things being a bit crap is really relatable, which is why it's so high on the list. Well, it's yeah, it's they, like we can relate to it very much because we have, here's this wonderful dev- smart hmm. device that's going to save me all this time. Buffering. <laughs> and this <laughs> ham gum is all <laughs> bones. <laughs> we would fall into the same old habits and the same old patterns. Yeah. Absolutely. And it pinkens your teeth. I mean, I would love to live in a Futurama <laughs> simply because I would love to be friends with Bender, um, even though he would you steal my would? blood <laughs> and be a terrible friend. I just, I, the, something about how friendship, even through, um, you know, being irascible with each other the whole time, keeps being able to just to subsist throughout all of this. I mean, for no, for no other reason, like, most of the rest of these are movies. And Future Armor, I kind of get in on the, they made a couple of TV movies out of this, like by combining episodes. <laughs> so you kind of, it's a bit of a cheat to get Future Armor in here. But it's just a really good example of a future that's kind of believable. Yeah. It's very recognizable. Mm. Yeah. For one of the things that Valeria. I think is notable about Futurama, especially Alex, and the way you talk about how it's relatable, mm-hmm. is that Futurama has almost like the fundamentals of that show mm. and what gives it a, its identity have kind of like shifted since it was created because Futurama was created to sort of like be the the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy version of like Star Trek of like hey yeah. let's go you know a thousand years in the future and let's let's look at all the the things that we should have in the future yeah flying cars yeah aliens yeah time travel you know all this stuff but you know, life is still going to be, like, kind of crappy and people are still going to be dicks to each other. And I'm just looking at that going, like, okay, yeah, that's, that's, I can see how that's the satirical point that you're taking. But, like, that is infinitely better than than the place that we're going to now. Like, yeah. Future yeah. Well, was, specifically was that every other place on this list. <laughs> yeah. Futurama also encapsulates the whole thing about the the fanti- fantastic becoming the mundane very quickly. Mm, yeah. Yes. But yeah, very much so. How about yeah, on this old the... this old HD TV, you couldn't even see my obscene tattoo. Oh, that's cute. <laughs> and it's blurred out because we're just looking at it on OLED screens. <laughs> <laughs> it carries a nice tone. It balances a very nice tone between being very hopeful, but it does have some darker edges to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 they're very rounded edges, you know. They're, they're taking a lot of the sharpness off. But you look at a lot of the, some of those stories. They're saying how dark they are. You know, you want a good example? Um, what happened to the previous crew? Oh, those poor <laughs> saps! This content of space wasp stomach. <laughs> it's a running joke, but it's also, hang on, how much meaning does Barnsworth put on the lives of? his friends hmm. or his family sort of in this case how many um, new yeah. crews has he said good news everybody to <laughs> <laughs> you also look at the it's the, it's the pilot episode hmm. where he meets Li- uh, Leela her name fell Leela Taronga Leela her name fell out of my head um they have job chips. This is what you're meant to be. Mm. This is what you're meant to do. And what you if I don't want to do that job? You'll be fired. That's fine. Out of a cannon into the sun. You also have that undercurrent of, hey, this is kind of utopian up top. But wait, we've got... Mutants in the sewers. Sewers. Yep. Bingo. Uh, it hits a lot of the tropes. And like I said, it still has... If you think about them, it has the hard ideas in there. It just... It does the subtle thing of rounding off the edges to get them in and slip them past so you don't think of them as as, as particularly nasty, but 
we have heads in jars. I'm not exactly sure that's the life I want. <laughs> yeah, but in their 3,000, you can talk to Leonard Nimoy. In ours, uh-huh. you can't. You could also push yeah. Nixon off a shelf. Oh! <laughs> But in their 3000, Nixon was the worst president that we had ever had. There you go. Or automatically better future. <laughs> I think the like that's one of its the Futurama's biggest strengths and I think why it is so high on this list is that even though it does go to a lot of dark places and there are a lot of, you know, edges rounded off or not, the world that it presents and the you know the universe that it shows us is a hopeful one in spite of all those things yeah. that like yes we have mutants in the sewers but they just kind of do their own thing and they're they're ostracized but they're not you know we aren't exploiting them for our own good you yeah. know we have not we do our the thing they way. do theirs they're and everybody's just oppressed. yeah and they have yeah, their own and, communities and, and they like each other yeah, like there are suicide booths in the strip malls, but other than that, everybody's kind of okay. I was going to say to Sharon, should we mention the suicide booths? But I thought that's it's kind of just a mentioned as a gag in the first episode, and then they never mention that again. Yeah, so they it's, don't they, ever really it's bring background it up flavor, but they yeah, they, no, they, it's, they, it's not like Children of Men, but it like that, right? They do bring it back in like one in the like the the Christmas episode or something like that. Xmas. Uh, they they mention it. Yeah, the Xmas episode. Actually, I yeah, the Christmas has night. gotten bad because Santa is a robot that will hunt you down whether you've been naughty or nice. <laughs> yeah, and you've all been very naughty. Fries in the department store going like I you know I, I need to make up to my you know to my girlfriend or or to you know this girl because I was gonna get her a present and then I didn't and I'm late and all this and I feel really bad and the the clerk's just like well there's a suicide booth over in the corner oh Jesus seriously well that's yeah. when he has to decide between getting a five thousand dollar parrot or five thousand one dollar stink lizards <laughs> yep. <laughs> I'm going to buy you so many lizards. I think we're going to have to do a show on at least one series season of Futurama because it is an absolutely wonderful show, which hasn't dated like a lot of shows from the early 2000s uh, in that way. There's there's some problems, but it's it's still, it's really good. So, um, Alex, what you're saying is, good news, everybody. Good news, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll do all of Futurama next year. We're fine. So, um, I've also included... Oh, no, yeah. Instead of a Spielberg season, you'll do a Futurama season. Yeah. That lasts the entire year. <laughs> uh, and I'm also lumping in with this The Fifth Element, which kind of does have this fascist e police force where it's like put your hands in the red uh, the yellow circles you know do you register uh, as human negative i am a meat popsicle popsicle. which means you can mouth off to the police and they won't then arrest you so it's not Mm. quite as bad as it could be And, and again with the fifth element there's just traffic going everywhere we don't see much of the rest of the planet but when you go to the airport there's garbage everywhere there's been an explosion and 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 um and, and little greeblies are everywhere and then there's always the problem of mega laws but it, it feels like a future that so you've got an oppressive government but a very lazy oppressive yeah government. there's a lot of hustle and bustle to it it's very french and every <laughs> just like futurama everyone's dressed magnificently <laughs> thank you jean paul gautier and i'd also include valerian in this and also if you want Folks, if you want to feel hopeful for the future and you can find Valerian, just watch the first 10 minutes, the intro sequence. Mm-hmm. Just that is more special than most sci-fis. The rest of the film is yeah. fine, but that intro sequence. <laughs> I, I mentioned to really Maya earlier. That one. Yeah. Can someone describe I, I, what it is? Because I've been jawboning. Um, it 
describes the essentially the the forward technological and humanitarian progress of earth mm-hmm. where essentially we you know we build a space station we uh include you know this international space station becomes a primary uh focus of earth's uh society we have generally it's presented as um the world comes together and we are peaceful and diplomatic between countries mm. eventually we make contact with um you know aliens and we start inviting them on and it's it like we this space station and humanity as a whole just keeps thriving so much that they have to keep adding and taking like tacking on and plugging in new things so that these aliens can live here and so that you know people with different atmospheric requirements can can visit and have a place to be and eventually it gets so big that it can't even be you know orbiting around earth anymore because it's the size of earth so we have to push it off into our own you know onto its own you know orbital trajectory that's kind of a futurama concept in itself actually like kind of yeah yeah (laughs) but but yeah it's 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 presenting this this really you know hopeful peaceful uh sort of glorious future Mm. of humanity and life as a whole and, and that, the the used visual motif like that they repeat is like the the shaking of hands like yeah, everyone uh-huh. who comes onto the station you know they're always welcomed they you know they shake hands with whoever's there and there's you know some sometimes you have to make accommodations because someone's got like tentacles or a weird mm-hmm. suit or some of us have a, claws <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> and, and so they're always reinforcing this visual idea of building this hand in hand with everyone that they meet so everyone contributes something to this this great work of civilization it's wonderful mm-hmm. i love it yeah. and and that also leads me to mass effect which i'm going to tie in with this tier because although the reapers are threatening to wipe out everything in their cycle of getting everything to start anew that for a start it's still a cycle it still will start anew it's kind of like the matrix 2 where it's like well, we'll kill everyone in zion but then we'll start again and it's like you're still trapped by a system but if you look at what we got to in mass effect we get to it's the moon then we great. get yeah, we get to the moon and we get to mars and mars contains uh, data for how to make the mass relays and the mass relays get us to the citadel at the center of this big galactic connection and effectively that puts humanity finally on the map with a whole bunch of species that got there before us and that is an incredible uplifting future to think of Mm. the idea that if we can just make that one extra step beyond our planet get to mars when we're there we will somehow crack the ability to get even further and that obviously ties in with contact as well humanity just needs to be able to stop self-destructing long enough to advance far enough to get us to the next place it's a pretty awesome step forward when you start out just on earth and everything feels pretty small within Mm. your own solar system and then the mass relays just open up this entire universe of other planets, other species, other uh, realities and possibilities. It's just, it's fantastic. I would, I might even 
place Mass Effect's world a little bit higher on this list. The only thing that was Just, holding it back was the Reapers, really. Yeah, I mean, like, th- yes, there and there is that, and the ending is a little bit. Mm, is it hopeful? Is it not? It's you know up for up for debate. Sharon but, says it is. She like, just nodded emphatically. <laughs> but again, like you said, there is that idea that it's cyclical, and even if this cycle ends, another one's going to start in its mm. place, and the technology that allowed that to happen is still there. Yeah. Um, and there's a, a couple more on this list of almost absolutely brilliant, and that is Wally, wherein the Earth is a crap sack. It's, I mean, it's somewhere between. The Road and Mad Max is just a fucking junk pile. Yep. I would say that... Oh, you're... Yep. ...kind of falls under what we said about Snowpiercer. The Earth is not wrecked. It is buried. Under garbage! Yes, but if we clear the garbage off, there is still going to be Earth underneath it. Yeah, it isn't destroyed. It's uninhabitable for people. Yeah. but Very the, specifically. Yeah, and specifically the people are out there on the Axiom uh, growing um, more and more portly by the day as they uh, subsist <laughs> mostly on sugary drinks. And the movie, you know, gently is, is Pixar chiding us as a, a species and saying, get off your asses and plant a tree. And at the end we do. And Wally is the lead character in Silent Running only he's not a psychotic killer who doesn't think about the fact that he's murdered three people and he's our hero ladies and gentlemen well he's the little <laughs> rumba guy with the trowel mm, rumba yeah mm. um, and yeah Wally uh, it presents us with an earth that's in a real dire state and then it says to the kids it's okay we can clean up and that's you mean it's okay you, you can, can clean, clean up, up after us <laughs> I meant collectively, but um, but yeah, uh, but um, yeah. So so Wally, I would put rank high because even though we completely bugger the earth, there is a sense of new beginnings and this desperation to keep this one little shoot of green in the sh- old boot uh, alive is um, it feels pointed. It feels like this should be lower on the list in terms of habitat habitability. Like, imagine trying to live in a Manhattan made of garbage. I live on a garbage island. Fury Road has an element of that as well because Mm. of the the seeds that are being carried around. But they plant seeds anyway to see if they can um, get stuff to grow and there's always the idea that the that the mothers can, that the Mad Max Fury Road is so powered by feminine energy and being able to bring life back and they deliberately put uh, position bullets as anti-seeds that you plant one and watch the thing die there's so much zest in Mad Max and it's it, it, it's profound <laughs> and the uh, last one on this uh, the, in this tier is Her and I'd actually almost put it higher in terms of the world that is presented to us. It's a much nearer future than most of these later, you know, far in, mm. uh, far off utopias. Um, sort of like sh- shambling, slightly broken utopias. And the fact that her feels so close to our existing world is in itself hopeful because it suggests we don't have that far to go. We could simply turn a cultural side road and end up in this version of the future it seems to be a world populated by kind of you know comfortable people who feel lonely and isolated 
and they're not sad and miserable like melancholia and, and they're not suffering from horrendous depression which obviously if you're watching melancholia and you've suffered from that before you'll feel like a, you know, a weird sense of being seen but at the same time it will drown you in that over the two and a half hour runtime but in her it's more just kind of a quiet stillness which um everyone seems to be gripped by and then they seem disconnected from each other and the the film itself seems to be well it 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 revolves around one man falling in love with his operating system effectively effectively uh um just getting very cozy with alexa but um as the film sort of progresses it it seems that a lot of people were um connecting in that way and the operating systems grow beyond us and go elsewhere and we're left with no one and there's a suggestion at the end that everyone like this is kind of spoiling the end of her but it's not really spoiling it like if you it's it's the proceed the process of her like you know, at the end we reconnect with each other and there's something to be said perhaps for what that could be alluding to there are different kinds of being connected online there is using technology as a way to allow people to connect and interact with each other which i think what we're doing right here is an example of that yeah. and then there's using things like social media and um, and interface systems to create distance between you and the people that mm. you're interacting with mm-hmm. there's a difference between idle distraction in the vicinity of people versus actual connection with people that I think her shares um, very comfortably with Wally because so much of Wally is about, you know, getting those screens down and getting the people off the chairs and working together and Mm. learning each other's names and and, and all that sort of thing. Um, Repersonalization. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so that the, that what, what we've got, you know, we, we have what we need. We just have to be pointed in the right direction to Mm. go there. Standing by the monorail 
she looked the same except for bionic eyes. She lost the real ones in the robot wars. I'll say I'm sorry, she'll say it's not your fault. Or is it? She'll eye me suspiciously. One thing we haven't really talked about is zombies, and I suppose that's mainly because the best version of that future is World War Z, but only the book, not the film. And I can't even imagine what the future of the world is within the film, aside from teased, promised, and mercifully cancelled sequels. In Max Brooks's book, The World Suffers a Global Pandemic, which puts it most in line with Tier 3, The Plagues, unfortunately the dead walk and these zombies will just keep on going, even if it's slowly. There's an existential element to this, which clearly the makers of the movie couldn't grasp, so they made theirs fast, like in 28 Days Later, only they made it PG-13, unlike 28 Days Later. In that Danny Boyle film, due to their rabid nature, the infected burn themselves out within two months and starve to death, leaving Britain scarred but re-inhabitable. There's a question mark over the sequel, of course. Romero's Dawn of the Dead series is the closest manifestation of this on the cinema screen, spanning decades of societal breakdown from a Class 1 outbreak in Night of the Living Dead to the Class 4 global disaster in Land of the Dead. In the World War Z book, they freeze in the winter and then thaw out again in the spring. They just keep going year after year. They walk our ocean floors. They maintain in the infested cities with no need of nourishment. It falls to us to readapt to the dangers they represent, muster many armies, and make ourselves almost like the slow, metronome-like, methodical killing machines that they represent. The greatest danger presented to us is the loss of sanity from grief compounded upon exhaustion, though in an inspiring and uplifting turn, which lit a fire under me to craft my own post-apocalypse reunification saga, we find ourselves collectively equal to the task. For this reason, I would put Romero's zombie world in tier three next to The Last of Us and Children of Men, humanity being on the brink of wiping out, leaving behind a ravaged world capable of natural regrowth and rebirth. But I would put World War Z on the tier six next to Rise of the Planet of the Apes, because the humankind that survives the Brooks zombie pandemic effectively supplants the cubicle mice of the old world. We become a new, smarter, better, more determined and flexible version of ourselves. And it's possible that the ones who survive as a result of being able to marshal their own trauma do so because we, in general, become more sensitive to each other because we're not gonna survive this if we don't care. All too often, I see people putting up strong defenses against all of this. 
But what they fail to grasp is that it's not a beast you can keep locked out. It's already in the house. They soldier on for other people, for their duty, for their own survival, and because of those defenses, they never let this beast out. You can look into their eyes and see them trapped in there with it, trying to do what they feel they must, holding it back from the world. Like what's out there matters more than what's in here. And sooner or later, they break. We're so fragile, James. We can really only take so much. That's why I cry. It's my safety valve and my way of letting the beast out. Even if only for a little while. And number nine, almost perfect. Uh, we've got the uh, original Utopia of Star Trek, and I'm going to date this one to the movie, the first um, the motion picture, and uh, it is set in 2273. <laughs> The reason this is magnificent is we've moved beyond money. Why does the Star Trek future... Hooray! Why is that important to, to Star Trek, and why was Star Trek important to sci-fi? Well, it's more than just money. Um, Star Trek is, is what is called a post-scarcity universe mm -hmm. in the sense that there is, there is no money because there's no need for money because there is enough of everything for everyone. When you don't have to work to live, you can work to progress your ideas and be more fulfilled. And this is how we get renaissances in technology and, um, you know, progress. Because if, you know, people left to their own devices will pursue their own uh, goals and interests, oftentimes to the betterment of society, if they are not constrained by survival. Yeah, it also shows the humanity that's learnt from its harsh lessons. It's a humanity that's learnt from, mm -hmm. uh, by that point, World War Three and the Eugenics War. Mm -hmm. Oh, come. So, yes. Um, it, it's learnt from its past. It literally has gone, right, whoa. Ooh. Right, we almost buggered the world. Uh, well, let's not do that again. Yeah. Let's actually not do that again. And <laughs> it shows you that humans still have that capacity to grow. And in, in that growth of being in this post-scarcity uh, universe, that, that not just with the, the getting rid of the money changes society, it also makes, in theory, acceptance a lot better as well, because we greatly mm -hmm. accept uh, the alien races that they, they run into. They run, you know, obviously, first contact with the Vulcans and Andorians. It shows that humanity has this capacity to grow past its petty squabbles and its petty desires to achieve more to become more i don't know why you picked the film because it, later on it gets a little bit muddier but yeah it shows you that humanity has learned and can grow and be more than what it is uh, why was this important to us in terms of sci-fi especially when set against checks notes 
Blade Runner, The Running Man, 1984, Never Let Me Go, The Handmaid's <laughs> Tale, Fahrenheit 451, V for Vendetta, Equilibrium, and just uh, name out of a hat, The Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> Even though that came one, later. So, are you saying you'd rather live in one of those other universes than say this one? Well, in, I'm not saying. I'm, 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 what I mean is, for sci-fi, um, Star Trek was obviously massively important because it, it gave mm-hmm. us a bright point to get to. Mm. It, right. It should, yeah, it's like this is where we could be. This is where we, you know, it gives us that that goal to reach, to strive for, to never stop reaching for. Because yeah. mm-hmm. I don't think we really want to reach for, you know, the Hunger Games, the Running Man. <laughs> Do we? Yeah. It feels oh. like we're getting there someday with some game shows, I know, but still. Quite apart from the fact that it would mean I get to hang out with Ryan Gosling, I don't think I want to live in Blade Runner 2049 either. <laughs> Why should I think you're hanging out with Ryan Gosling? He's got work to do. <laughs> You know it's only because you're like, I want to hang out with Ryan Gosling, not you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Listen, I've got a trilogy of Ryan Gosling moping around LA singing songs quietly to himself to continue. <laughs> so, Star Trek is one of the few aspirational futures on this list, or it's, yeah. it's definitely one of the first. I would say Valerian would also go on that list. Um, I'd but say Futurama as well. Futurama is I want there to be good, good news, yeah. everyone, every day. That's, but we've that been, is fair. We've been more successful with Star Trek. We've got past the point where we're, <laughs> we're buffering, <laughs> where the tech <laughs> is still a bit crap, and we're still cleaning up the, the, the garbage that was left lying around on the ground. Are you saying that in Star Trek, it buffers and Picard's like what the fuck is this shit <laughs> well there's bats and buffers that kind of <laughs> no I haven't in seen Star it. Trek yep. the doors, the doors work, work. <laughs> like no 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 those in, are social distancing doors though fictional, you don't touch them those yeah, are good. in the fictional Star Trek the doors work obviously I realise that in the real Star Trek the doors do not work <laughs> But whereas most of the futures, like most of the depictions of the future up to this point Mm. have been cautionary. They've been, Mm -hmm. these are things that we need to watch out for and avoid. avoid. Mm. Yeah, Star Trek is like really, really heavily, this is something we should strive for. This is something we can achieve. Yeah. Yeah. It's also worth noting that this is within recent memory of World War II, where you have so much of like you know, divisions and borders and conflicting nationalities and Star Trek is like, okay, no, we're all just working together to do this thing and this is, and it's not just World War II, like, you have people alive who remember the first one. So you're looking at basically an entire half century before this of conflict and just, like, clashing and crumbling empires and saying, you know, what if we took some of that energy and just decided to all work together for the species instead of for a flag, which, mm-hmm. you know, obviously is, you know, we, we've seen that since, but this is this is very much one of the, the premier mainstream visions of that. It's also right. got and- a sense of continual progression in it. It's not a, okay, we've arrived. We are at our post-scarcity utopia. Everybody stop mm-hmm. where you are. There is this constant sense of to boldly go, which I think is really important to, uh, to anything that really feels optimistic and hopeful because mm-hmm. it's got to feel like it's moving. If it's stagnant, it is dying. The fact that it was mm-hmm. built uh, as a show during the Kennedy era when we were looking up into space was right. really important for the spirit of the show. 
Um, also, like what you mentioned regarding let's all move forward for the species reminded me why Mass Effect is, is one lower. Um, because <laughs> uh, it's kind of like that did sort of happen with humans on Earth. They stopped having petty hatreds of each other because they had different skin colour. They started color. having petty hatreds of the other species yeah. instead. Fucking hate Krogans and, uh, and <laughs> hating other species. As soon as they got to the Citadel, start, like just immediately people didn't like humans and humans didn't like uh, the Rachni. God, we are mm-hmm. shit, aren't we? I don't think the Rachni are the <laughs> Citadel, are they? <laughs> but, but also, In- to a bit of our credit, nobody liked the Krogans. So. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Krogans. Like, yeah, exactly. In, in a sense of everybody coming together, mm. it goes back to just the the post scarcity universe. When you have nothing to fight over, you mm. have no reason to fight. Yeah, yeah. And it people also can then bit... just work together because they don't have any reason not to. There's also this sense that we've learned from past mistakes as well. There was all this fighting and all this conflict before, so the emphasis now is on diplomacy to try to avoid that ever happening again. Also, Star Trek has to be one higher than Futurama, because in Futurama, their version of Captain Kirk is Zap Brannigan. Now, like all great plans, my strategy is so simple an idiot could have devised it. On my command, all ships will line up and file directly into the alien death cannons, clogging them with wreckage. Well, wouldn't it make more sense to send the robots in first and... Sir, I volunteer for a suicide mission! Ah, cut it out! You're a brave robot, son. But when I'm in command, every mission's a suicide mission. Um, I think this is probably the best place to put the end of Interstellar there. Is there a way we can say this without spoiling it? Or do we, is it actually more important that we spoil it to give people a bit more of a th- something to it's wish technically for? Technically speaking, it's in the title. Hmm. Okay, well, I think it's actually worth saying what happens at the end of Interstellar. If you really, really don't want to hear what happens at the end of Interstellar, then jump forward a few minutes. It's been several years, but you'll benefit from hearing it, I think, right now, which is that at the beginning, we've got that dust bowl that we mentioned, humankind's on its last legs, like it's, we're being taught that the moon was a, a, a hoax. We're having real difficulty getting things to grow, but significantly referring back to the Kennedy era of um, Star Trek, that was when NASA was like these big, bold astronauts that we people were filled with respect for. But by this point, NASA is like a garage somewhere, and they're sort of like, they're building a rocket out of old used car parts, like they're A-teaming their next mission. <laughs> and it's, it's, it just shows that like if you defund and defund and defund, we aren't going anywhere. It's a very pro-NASA film. But Without really spoiling the mechanics of how, we fix our shit. And the end of Interstellar is us having fixed our shit and gotten through a really horrible time in human existence. Mm -hmm. And actually reaching out and taking that one extra step. And we're not at the Citadel yet, but it's, it's definitely close. I think we can say without spoiling it that the end of Interstellar takes a... It, it's a very long jump in time forward yeah. as well. It, yeah. we, we get to it's see... It's not a, a Roland Emmerich, um, well, we fixed this all in a weekend. <laughs> right, exactly. It's it's a, like, it took a long time yeah. and a lot of work, but we did figure this out and things did get better. We came together as a group. And again, that that's going to be the running theme in all of these later movies is that humanity was able to come together to get their shit in line. 
and things got better as a result. And with Interstellar, it's not like this incalculable span of years where where you don't get to see the, the progress. Like, it's decades and it takes a long time, mm-hmm. but it's something where you watching the movie could conceivably still live to maybe see it one day. Hmm. Right. The, the ch- there, there's a child in the early portion of the, you know, of the movie who is an old woman at the end. And so, as you said, this is within the span of one lifetime. One of the sticking points of uh, trying to fix the future is that there's far too many people who are like, well, if I'm not going to be there, what's the point? And it comes mm-hmm. back to the, the, the noble case of a society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they shall never sit in. It requires a longevity of thought. It requires looking into the distance. It requires not focusing on the right now and the what about my shit. Mm-hmm. And that's and, something and an we're, we're abstract sense with. of empathy. Yeah. And that's that's it, yeah, to, to be able to empathise with and decide that you want to give an easier time to people down the line. Exactly. Yeah. And this reminds me of another version of the future where the uh, inhabitants of planet Earth have been unsuccessful in growing crops and people are malnourished, education is sparse, and nothing grows principally because they're irrigating their crops with Gatorade... It's idiocracy, and I'm going to classify this as a junk world because it is absolutely full of garbage. So it's a uh, tier five, along with uh, Mad Max, the Mad Futures. I mean, it's it's quite appropriate actually that it be there, and there's still that seed of hope that we can get through it. All it requires, according to this rather dated movie, is for a normal person to show the stupid people how to live. Plus, they have President Terry Crews, a former wrestler. You know what? Even in that movie, better president. Way better. So, number 10, or number 1, depending on which way you're going on this list. I said 10s because we're now counting up, because it could even get better than this. Um, a special mention for The Last Mimsy, which is a tiny little film no one's ever seen, uh, where um, a time-traveling uh, bunny comes back. <laughs> it's like a soft toy. Uh, gets sent back from the distant, distant future where they're in trouble, um, and they've got to gather information. And, you know, when it gets back with this information, it basically... It fixes the future, and again, it's it's like a Star Trek future where they've actually figured shit out, and they just needed this extra little bit of data, but it was crucial for it to happen. And it gives kids who see this. It's, it's, it's a wonderful little movie that doesn't patronize kids, but at the same time, it's kind of like brain-expanding. Maybe 2001 for kids without that sustained uh, <laughs> black hole sequence. But um, yeah, it says we're going to be all right. So maybe Interstellar for kids. How about that? Mm-hmm. There you go. Um, but number 10, this top spot, which I don't think we can actually really get better, but I'd love to see people try, is Bill and Ted's future. Excellent! And that is because... Welcome to the future. San Dimas, California, 2688. And I'm telling you, it's great here. The air is clean. The water is clean. Even the dirt is clean. 
Bowling averages are way up, mini golf scores are way down, and we have more excellent water slides than any other planet we communicate with. You see, eventually, the music of Bill and Ted will help put an end to war and poverty. It will align the planets and bring them into universal harmony, allowing meaningful contact with all forms of life, from extraterrestrial beings to common household pets. And it's excellent for dancing. The reason that this is that's just pips Star Trek to the post mm-hmm. is that Star Trek got the way it is. The Star Trek future exists because of an awful lot of work and having to go through a lot of shit yeah. and realise that we wanted to improve on that. Bill and Ted, we don't really have to do anything. It's the music that brings everybody together. Try. No no one spoiled this third film. It's wonderful. I recommend everyone so see it. So good. And I'm so happy that you two finally got to see it. Oh, yeah. Um, we saw uh-huh. it because future versions of ourselves came back in time to give <laughs> us the Blu-ray, totally legitimately, of Bill and Ted Face the Music. They said, dude, you got to see this movie and tell people to see it as safely as they possibly can. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, we'll be doing a Bill and Ted trilogy uh, at the beginning of 2021 because they're, they're the films people need right now. But um, Excellent. Yeah, the, the reason that I'm putting the future up here, and also if we get few, like one of the reasons it's this high is because we only get a couple of glimpses of it. Mm. Um, mm. Like in Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, everyone's wearing these giant foam shoes. <laughs> and, I love that. And, oh, yeah. and, uh, it is the day glow future. It is the most 1990 of futures. <laughs> True. Yeah. Um, but in the bit in Excellent Adventure, we'll talk about it when we come to the, uh, the when, mm-hmm. when we cover this on the show. There is one significant bit where Bill and Ted themselves managed to reach this future. And it's just magic. It's it's great. One thing that I did notice that that I I continue to notice about the Bill and Ted future, and I don't know if this is an intentional statement or just a budgetary thing, but this has the same thing in uh, something in common with Star Trek as well is that there are no brands, there are no advertisements, there is there, there don't appear to be corporations at all. The like all of the bright flamboyant colors and everything that everyone is wearing and their like sleek stylish robes, they don't have any logos. They don't have any slogans. There's no there's no branding on any of it. It's just solid colored, chicly designed mm. like cool shaped stuff. We evolved and, beyond the need well, for capitalism. Right. If, if everybody has everything they need, why would you need to tr- trick? persuade and badger mm-hmm. people into consuming your particular product. Exactly. Yeah, there's there's very little need for any sort of propaganda in a world like this. Yeah. Blade Runner, on the other hand, fucking <laughs> 3D yeah. advertising it's, everywhere. It's heels into it, yeah. <laughs> However, there's this one episode of Futurama I asked you guys to make sure you checked out if you could. Did anyone manage to see it? Oh, yes. I did. Yes. Cool. Like I would recommend if anyone's feeling low right now, track it down. I think it's on Hulu in America. It's on Prime mm-hmm. if you're in the UK. Um, I think it, was it season seven for you guys? 
It's season yeah, season seven, seven episode yeah. seven. Okay, right. Mm-hmm. So it's called the late Philip J. Fry. And Professor Farnsworth has invented a time machine that can only go forwards, which uh, uh, is to eliminate the time travel paradox, where if you go back and then you change time and then you come forwards, technically another version of you should be there. So they go forwards. They're supposed to be going only one minute, but they end up rocketing into the future. And they keep encountering different shittier versions of the world and then slightly better versions of the world. But Fry keeps trying to, like, Fry's distraught because he missed Leela and they were going to have a date and it keeps flashing back to later and later in Leela's life and she's been mad at Fry the whole time for just walking out on her. They keep moving forwards and, and then there's nothing. Man, like, mankind's gone, the earth is scorched and there's nothing there and then they keep moving forwards. Like the, the earth crumbles beneath them and they're left in absolute blackness at the absolute end of time. And then everything folds in on itself and there's another big bang. And then they keep moving forwards and then the earth comes back underneath their feet and then they go round again and then the prof- they go a little bit too far again and then they miss her again and... What is being laid down is that time breathes out and time breathes in and time breathes out. And it just goes round and round and round. And there's implications that things change ever so slightly as they go around. Like the professor shoots Hitler on the way around the first time and then (laughs) shoots out the window the second time and accidentally hits Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, But there is something like just thinking about well the earth's going to die eventually and then there'll be the heat death of the universe and then what will be what will happen then it'll just be nothing and the idea that well then there'll be something and it'll just mm-hmm. go round again it's the most peaceful notion of the cycle of time that rather than it all being about entropy and just everything slowly fading away and crumbling to dust and becoming nothing that the universe tends towards becoming something again that if you go in one direction for long enough and far enough you'll find yourself cycling back around again not a straight line a circuit a lap once more around the block I love this episode so much. The it's fact that it presents, and, yeah, the, the <laughs> fact that it presents life as inevitable rather than, and and not just life, but complex life and civilization as as a as an inevitable cyclical thing, um, regardless of of how far into time you get, is very soothing and and also um, a, a a nice contrast to the you know the fragility and impermanence of life that is in so many of these other futures that we've mm. been talking about. Yeah. It does tend to... It, it, it is... It's very hopeful, especially for people like us who are not really in a position to affect meaningful change on a large scale, that even if... Even if everything goes wrong and everything that we have done is for naught and we drive ourselves to extinction and take the whole planet with us at some point there will be life again and and not necessarily we will get another chance but life will get another chance
So 2020 was absolute shit, wasn't it? Just this never-ending parade of death and corruption and idiots and fire. And because of all that, no new movies at the cinema. Certainly none that we can either go and see or encourage you to go and see in all good conscience. We can't tell folks to go to the cinema. So we're going to be ready for 2021, which may be better or it may be worse, with a mind to probably not being able to rely on new movies. But we want to give you folks the shows you want to hear too. So here's how we're going to do that. Tweet us at School of Movies and use the hashtag SOM21 and suggest a film you'd love for us to cover. Now, obviously no promises for any of these, otherwise everyone will be getting free commissioned shows the whole year round. But we will be keeping track of what names just keep turning up for the rest of this year. And we will be mapping out our schedule. So now's your chance to put some names in front of us and we will see what kind of a lineup that will make. This is mainly out of acceptance that if we can't go forward, we can go back. But that doesn't mean you can't suggest new movies that are available to rent or buy or stream. Again, it really comes down to what titles just keep turning up on our feed. And that hashtag again, SOM21. Don't go nuts and spam us 91 times with the same movie or 91 different movies. Get that narrowed down to what you feel would make a great show. Speaking of which, and while I have all of your attention, the most recent story in my alternate history audio drama, Uncivil Outlaw, has just completed on the New Century Multiverse podcast feed. And I put together a trailer for it that I've been wanting to do for years now, based on the fan trailer for Captain America Civil War by Angelo Maringolo. So all credit goes to him for the structure, but this is how I want to give you folks a taste of this story. We are fighting a second civil war, at the same time as our ongoing attempts to repel and eradicate the Wendigo. There are still several unaccounted for doorways out there. If a single one stays open, we remain in perpetual jeopardy. And what if I say no? You are a government agent. Some things we give you the option to say no on. This is not one of them. Hello, it's me. He called it a, a bond between desperate, no, disparate races. He means her and me, but bigger. This time next year, there may not even be cartographers. If these allegiances succeed, we have crucial allies against the Wendigo. Abigail, I'm with you on the unity front, but... Our world has been in danger since the moment those portals opened. But in the grand scheme of things, this is so much bigger than America. Meanwhile, if we spend years failing to organize this chaos, then it won't matter what the grand cosmic perspective is, because we'll all be dead. It was just a dream, Abigail. Don't let your personal feelings intrude. Just do your job. You think you're basing all your decisions on logic. But I've started to believe there's no such decision that can be made. There's emotion in everything we choose to do. I've forgotten how it felt before the world fell out. He will never stop hunting you. I am sorry, friend. I want the world to be safe. If you get to be safe as a side benefit of that, 
then my life is worth spending. Hello from the other side. And I will know my course, and it is away from that man. I will still run. I cannot conceive of a world where I would let what you hold in your frame be lost to us. So you will have to stop me. What do you want to do? <laughs> I'm not disappointed. I'm just scared. Uncivil Outlaw, part of the New Century Multiverse. An alternate history detailing the age when humankind first realized we were not alone. And that audio drama is available on Bandcamp, along with the rest of the saga, at a very reasonable price, especially for those of you missing the epic scale of the cinema. I like to take the listeners to places like that in our heads. And if you want the free version, that's on the podcast feed in its entirety too. I'll just be happy to get this into more ears. And as you might expect, this episode recording ran long, and I trimmed out quite a bit of noodling back and forth down various timelines. And I put all that together into one cutting class episode, which is on our Patreon bonus feed for everyone at the $5 level or higher. And it includes a section where I take us all along a timeline through what we will allegedly have to face in every new era if all of these sci-fi movies do in fact come to pass, each in turn, from 2019's Blade Runner through to The Time Machine in the year 802,701. And if you're at the $15 level on that very same Patreon of ours, then you get a shout-out on every episode. So a huge thank you from the past, present, and every possible future, too. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Outridge, Alex Peregrine, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick, Christopher Wolfe, Kieran Dashler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, Dan Hebner, Daniel Salguero, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, Duran Barnett, Evan Jankowski, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, Jameis Enright, Joe Gasiga, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joseph Gluck, Kat Essman, Kevin Veyi, Lorraine Chisholm, Mark Luksh, Matthew A. Siebert, Matthew Webb, Michael Haskell, Scott Jacob, Sarah Montgomery, Tim Rosensky, Timothy Green, Toby Jungius, Trey Contreras, and Tom Painter. Before we go, can our guests let the listeners know where we can find your best stuff? We will start with Brendan. You can find me in a number of places. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BLC Agnew. You can read stuff that I write on Synapse at cinapse.co. Uh, you can also read some longer stuff that I write on normannerd.blogspot.com. Uh, most recently, I was um, deciding to throw out a bunch of martial arts movie recommendations to anyone who either had watched the new Mulan or didn't watch the new Mulan but wanted some kung fu movies anyway. So uh, <laughs> if you're if you're in a kick punch mood, you can check that out. Um, and you can also you, you should also listen to other episodes of this podcast because sometimes I'm on that too. Jesse. 
Yeah, I produce a podcast about time travel and using it in storytelling called Recorded Tomorrow, which you can find uh, wherever you find podcasts, uh, or you can see our Twitter at Time Travel Pod. If you want to hear more, like, shouting at fascism and talking about, you know, my friends in the RPG community and how awesome they are, you can look at my personal Twitter at the Dapper DM. Um, in terms of what I'm most proud of, Probably uh, I published my own short story on that podcast episode called The Party, and uh, either that or episode 13, where we talked to uh, our friend Emma, who is an RPG designer and author about how to start a time travel story and how to take an idea into the beginnings of an actual story. Neil? You can find me over my own little corner of the... uh more pleasant universe hopefully i don't want no apes and, and diseases and children and men uh, you can find me doing something more cheerful <laughs> talking about the latest gaming news over at gameverse at gameverse.com and finally maya you can find me on twitter at maya santandrea i'm usually either talking about geeky stuff and some of the usual fare that you would imagine or i'm posting pictures of my dogs so if you <laughs> if you have a need for some very cute animals check that out as well i've been on a, a few of the school of movies podcasts recently some of the more notable ones include labyrinth which i commissioned and i'm also on uh, knives out flight of the navigator going back a little bit further both of the mortal combat shows which were a hell of a lot of fun and aside from that, uh, if you hop on over to the New Century Multiverse, you can hear a variety of my voices, uh, especially on Uncivil Outlaw, which is releasing currently, as both Catherine Holloway and Merlane. Uh, as far as film and television, I've been out of work for several months, so I don't really have anything coming up unless someone over at Disney decides to finally pull the trigger on Jungle Cruise. But who the heck knows what's going on with that movie anymore? So, yeah. Which is why it's good that you're flexing your aura as a uh, voice actor, because voice acting is going to be a boom time period at some point in the uh, near mm -hmm. future, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no. Maya's a fantastic voice actor. I'm really happy to uh, have her working with us. And uh, I'll send you the new lines for the new brief cameo character tomorrow by the way oh fantastic i'm really looking forward to it and thank you okay so there you have it folks 10 possible futures for us as a species and what may happen might not be specifically any of these but in all likelihood our future contains probably multiple eras that may encompass aspects of many of what we've talked about above i for one will be happy to keep working towards the better futures and helping those that i can through the worse ones we will be back, come what may, with a continuation of the Spielberg season and the delightful Catch Me If You Can. We're going to finish on Robbie Rob in time from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure because they earned it. And I've been Alex Shaw. And I've been Sharon Shaw. School's, School's out. out. Oh